You can be seated. Things are going to be a little different arrangement today as far as the order of service. So we're first going to be uh, looking at the topic of baptism. And um, I'm excited about this largely because um, a lot of what I've been doing in my uh, PhD work seminar recently has been on ecclesiology. And I shared this with a couple people over time. When I did my master's work, we did not have a strong ecclesiology class of any kind. That would have occurred all within our systematic theology class. And I've, after going through this seminar, it's been, I realized how insufficient that was. And so I've actually learned some new things about the church, and it's been really cool. And um, just to share this with you, one of the, the things that I really appreciate about Midwestern Baptist Theological, where it was where I'm attending up in Kansas City, their motto is for the church. So everything is not just designed about pouring into us as, as students of, of some kind just for the sake of us gaining knowledge. The, the goal is to, to do this work so that there's a practical implication that is applied to the church and for the church. And I think that's been a, a very encouraging thing to me. So with, with that said, one of the things I, I, I want to, to like transition into is when we look at the, the topic of baptism especially, it's about church relationship. So last week, one of the things I shared um, is, is that when we come to Christ as, a, as an individual, yes, that's certainly individual, uh, or a, a, an aspect that happens individually, but there's also this aspect of it which is corporate because no one can come to Christ apart from the church. And you might say, well, they could read the scripture and those kind of things. Yeah, they could, but, but what's maintained all those things? things and the truth of scripture and, and uh, the, the relationship with Christ throughout the, the centuries. It's been the church. The church is always present. And, and the church is, we, as we've looked at, is called the bride of Christ. That is an incredible term when we think about it. Because the bridegroom is always making his bride look beautiful. That, that's the goal. Okay. Now, guys, I know in our human nature, we, we struggle with that at times, but that's what we should be doing for our spouses is making them beautiful. And that's what Christ does for the church. So he's always using the, the, the local church, especially in terms of uh, making his presence known and making his beauty known as well. So, <coughs> excuse me. So, the other thing, when we think about these ordinances, okay, we, and for us as a, a Southern Baptist church, we have two ordinances. Now, an ordinance is a little bit different than a sacrament. A sacrament means that, that it actually offers some measure of grace. Uh, we don't believe that. We hold that an ordinance is simply a, and I say simply, it's, it's very profound, but it's a symbol, okay, that, that it, it's symbolic of some other things, and it, it doesn't bring any element of grace. Now, I do say, we'll say this. With obedience, there's always a measure of grace. D does that make sense? So it's not in the element itself, but it's in the actions that we participate in these things that we receive the blessings of obedience, which brings grace and mercy to us. So these two uh, ordinances actually help define us as a church. They are what makes a church a church. 
Um, and I'm going to talk about this, uh, and, and I hope that, that you understand this, and, and it's really clear. A church is different than just a crowd of Christians gathering. How, how many of you guys ever went to a Promise Keepers meeting? Some of you did, okay? I remember going to Dallas um, before the stadium moved and sitting at, at that stadium there in, in Dallas uh, and, and being at a Promise, keep, Promise Keepers event and being up in the nosebleed section. I think we were literally the, the highest last row and watching a sea of men gathered. That was a crowd of Christian men, but it was not the church, okay? You say, well, why, why not? Well, Here's why. We weren't agreed in covenant membership together with specific leadership together saying these are our values. And we weren't practicing the ordinances of baptism and communion together. Those things are what define the church. So this morning, I think there is no greater privilege that we have as a local church than participating in both the ordinance of baptism and communion. So... Um, let, me, let me give you um, a piece of encouragement this morning. So as, and we're going to transition into teaching and baptism. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 6. Uh, a few years ago, I was asked to do some uh, youth uh, first aid, mental health first aid training. Uh, I, I know you all probably remember me doing some of that thing. We had a couple of seminars uh, or classes here on campus um, for that where we, we were encouraging a, any kind of adult caregiver um, the opportunity to do training so that they would be able to, to guard and help with uh, middle school, high school, even younger children uh, and, and their mental health to make sure that they weren't jeopardized because mental health for students is a, a, a tragic thing that's happening right now. There's a lot of compromised uh, health in that arena. But one of the things that they, they taught us in the training was this, and it was very unnatural for me. They said, hey, we want you to tell everybody where we're going for the day. I was like, what? I was like, they said, adults do better when you tell them where they're going so they can have like this paradigm and, and, and know what's happening. Well, the text this morning is a little bit like that. Paul teaches, and, and then he says, okay, now I'm going to back into some other things. That's counterintuitive intuitive for me. Because when, when I teach, I kind of like unfold it because there's part of me that says, if I give you too much on the front end, then you may be jumping ahead in your thinking and not tracking. And, and, and so you're, you're anticipating where we're going. And so it's not that I want to withhold and like be cagey about that. That's just not how I teach normally. So guess what I'm going to do this morning? I'm going to back into what Paul says anyhow, okay? So, so, so know that when we look at this, Paul says, hey, I'm going to reveal, and then I'm going to go back too, but I'm going to teach in reverse, okay? So you'll get it in a second. So look at Romans chapter 6 with me. We're going to begin in verses 6, and, and then we're going to come back and read a little bit more. So beginning in Romans 6, verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in a death like his, oops, I'm sorry, let me go back. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, 
once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and to, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, now, let me stop right there for just a minute. What Paul is teaching is that this unity that we have, this oneness that we have, this identity that we have in Christ happens when? When we die with Christ, okay? So when did Christ die? On the cross, right? So when we are, express our trust and faith in Christ as Lord and Savior, we die with him, and our unity with Christ occurs in that moment. It's at the moment of our salvation and confession of him as Lord and Savior. So, so that's what I believe Romans 6, 6 through 11 makes really clear. So, so let me go back and let's, let's verify that. Now we know that our old self was crucified with him. See, there's that term, crucified with him. When he was crucified and we believe in him as a savior, when is our old self die? At the crucifixion. That's the point of unity. Now there's, there's others that believe that is a different point of unity. And that point, they believe, is when we are baptized. But that's not what Paul's saying. He clearly says that it's upon our faith in Christ at that point of crucifixion, okay? And he goes on and, and teaches about some other things about the resurrection of Christ and how we will anticipate a resurrection with him as well. Now, with all that said, salvation is occurs in a person when they're regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit. They're identified with Christ at that point. And then we do what? We celebrate in uh, that union through the uh, ordinance of baptism, where we come together as a church to recognize what Christ has done in them. So now let's read Romans 6, 3 through 5, okay? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, through, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, see, there, there's the key again, united in a death like his, which occurred when? At the crucifixion. Baptism is a symbol of that death. So we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So I hope what we're seeing today together as a Baptist church is this understanding that when we come to faith in Christ, salvation occurs. We have our personal identity in Christ. And then what we do is we show that identity through the ordinance of baptism. That is a picture of Christ's death, burial, and his resurrection. And we're saying what happened in salvation? We are now showing that we are united like that in, um, with him. So let me, let me talk about a couple things now because I think this is also important for us to recognize. When we recognize that our old self was crucified with Jesus on the cross, what is that ultimately pointing to? It's pointing to his death, right? Now, now and I've kind of covered that, but here's what I want to highlight about that. When Jesus dies... What did he die for? To pay the penalty for our sin, to, to purchase people for salvation, their, their regeneration. He also did that as a substitution on our behalf. 
I, I love this passage. You can turn there. Galatians 3, real quickly. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Before Galatians, you have First and Second Corinthians. Galatians 3, 13. We read this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. When, when you think about the fact that Christ suffered and endured the cross, this cup of suffering on our behalf, he became a curse so that the curse that should have been placed upon us because of our sin, because the wrath of God should have been poured out, it is the most loving act that Christ could have done on our behalf by substituting himself and becoming a curse for us. See, he took on the penalty of our sin. He took upon himself our guilt and shame, and he suffered on our behalf that we would no longer have to experience that. What an incredible act of love. That's the beauty of this picture, that Christ suffered and he died, and he rose again that we might experience that. So in 1 Corinthians 15, there's this great passage, that, and you don't have to turn there because it's really lengthy, but there's this point where it says that Jesus took away the, the sting of death. And he, it's because he overcame the power of the law that points to sin, and through that, what do we have? We have victory. That is an incredible truth that through Christ, sinful Matt, sinful you, can have victory over sin and death and the curse of the law. And we have freedom in Christ. Folks, what, what these candidates in, for baptism, because they're about to, to step up in, into the, the water um, and, and be baptized by their dads, which is really going to be cool, they are expressing that, that they have left the old man behind or the old person behind, and they are identifying with Christ in salvation. So when they come up out of the water, what that represents is this, this future resurrection, that, that they will certainly die a physical death unless the Lord returns. After that, there is a promised resurrection, new body, new membership in the kingdom of God. It is an incredible promise. Now, I want to remind you of a, a couple of things with this. Because when I think about the resurrection of Christ and what he suffered and the difference in his death versus any other person's death is this. In Genesis 3, you may recall this. How many of you watched, um, oh goodness, The Passion of the Christ by, uh, produced by Mel Gibson? Yeah. Do you remember the scene in the garden of Gethsemane when he was praying? The, the, the person who represented Satan, the enemy, was there. And as, uh, as Jesus is, is down on the, his face, praying and sweating the drops of blood, there's this serpent that crawls before him. And Jesus stands up, and what does he do? He stomps on the head of that serpent, okay? That image points back to what? Does anybody remember? Genesis 3, right, where the promise of this Messiah is first given in Genesis 3.15, that his heel would be what? Bruised. And he would what? Crush the head of the serpent. So I started thinking about that in terms of, of what Jesus did on our behalf and this idea of the resurrection. 
You see, Jesus' death, because it was not permanent, because he rose from the dead, it is that bruising. What does a bruise do? Has anybody had a serious bruise? I know some of you have sprained ankles or done some other things. Eventually, though, what happens? That bruise gets dark, and then it turns yellow and looks gross. But then eventually, you're like, hey, it's not tender anymore. There's, there's no visible evidence of that, right? That's the, the, the picture of the resurrection. There's no visible evidence that Christ died because he rose again. It was temporary. His death was temporary, and he uh, attained victory. But the enemy has been destroyed. Victory is Christ. And for us, our sin is made temporary. We will only struggle with it in this life. We will be refined at never to deal with sin again once we are glorified. Is that not an incredible promise? So when we talk about the, the point of being buried with Christ in that symbol, united with him in his death, but raised is the promise of us being sanctified, that, that we will be able to not be sinlessly perfect, but to overcome sin because of the work of the Spirit in us as we abide in Christ. It, it's a glorious thing who we are in Christ. And for us together to come uh, together as a church and to celebrate these things is part of that. And here's, here's part of this, last part, and then we're going get, to get to these, uh, this focus on baptism. Um, it's an identity. It's an identity with the local church. Because you don't really do baptism apart from the church. Because you want the church to be involved as we come together and uh, under leadership, with the ordinances together, in common uh, beliefs and mutual agreement of service and ministry to one another, this is us saying, welcome to the church in the greatest sense. So, so this is a beautiful picture for us today to say that we are recognizing these believers as a church together celebrating what God has done in their lives. So Perry, I want to invite you and Jensen to come forward and uh, Jensen, you can have your family around you, too. I don't know if your mom and Jace and Thomas are going to be there. Larry and Kitty, you, too. If you guys want to come up here and be really close and witness this, that's all really cool, okay? Because, again, family and then us as a family witnessing this. And Jensen and Abigail, in just a minute, I want you guys to do this, too. As you're getting up there and before your dad, uh, either one of your dads starts to, to speak, I want you to look out and, and just take a quick glance and survey the church body that's witnessing this too, okay? Yeah, I'm, Jensen, you, you got other things on your mind, dude, I know. But I want you to go ahead and climb in, and as you sit down, I want you to be able to see the church body as they witness this. Because you're doing this as part of our church body. Does that make sense, Jensen? So kind of take a minute. He's, he's, he's totally in his own world. I love kids. It's warm, isn't it? Is it too warm? You don't take a bath that warm? He doesn't take, <laughs> take a bath a that often. He doesn't take a bath that often. <laughs> Confession's good for the soul. <laughs> Perry, you, you know, you are the head of the household. You can set the bath schedule. I know. <laughs> they learn. They learn. <laughs> They're imitating the, their dad. Is that what it is? Jensen, you good now? You, you acclimated? Okay, now, I want you to look out there. Okay, I want you to see these folks that are the, the church witnessing this, okay? Kind of keep that in your mind's eye um, for just a minute, a snapshot picture 
uh, of you becoming part of Christ Church in membership. Okay, now it's not uh, later you're going to join the church officially as you agree to the covenant and doctrines and beliefs and those kind of things. But but still part of the being part of the church is what you're doing today. So Perry, I'm going to turn this over to you. Okay, All right. go ahead, my brother. Okay, um, really quickly, I wanted to just explain a little bit about what happened a few months ago. Jensen started asking questions about salvation and uh, thank you to the teaching here at the Grove and kind of stirred him up and so the best I could I um, answered those questions biblically and things went on for another month or so and one day Jensen just said dad you know asked another question I answered it he said I I want that I want to do that I said okay Um, so Jensen and I prayed together, and it's with a lot of joy that I'm going to get to do this with my son and honor um, Jensen. So you answered the call of the Holy Spirit in your life, and you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Is that right? A little louder. Yes. Yeah, you can shout it out because, I mean, that's a great thing. I know you're a little little nervous, but so um, in obedience to Scripture, and we looked in there, um, I think it was in Ma- at the end of Matthew where Jesus tells us and commands us, right, to be baptized. Is that right? Do you remember that? <laughs> okay, Jensen, it's with, again, great honor and joy. My brother in Christ, my son, that I baptized you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism, and raised again in newness of life. Good. You're good. That's the beauty of concrete. It dries easily. All right, you guys, Jensen, you go hustle and dry off and change clothes, man, because in just a couple minutes, you're going to be able to come back in here and and be part of our uh, Lord's Supper communion, okay? Don't slip on your way out, though. And anybody following him, don't slip. All right, Pete, Abigail, and whoever from, uh, I'm sure Gene is going to be up here. Whoever else from your family wants to be a part of uh, this up here. There she is. I was going, where'd she go? So this is Abigail Ryan. I know many of you know her. I'm going to let Pete, you going to share for just a second? So Abigail was actually saved. Um, last year at Coldstream and she came home and started talking to us about that and so we kind of went through that with her and realized 
we really thought, you know, that she was, and we were just going to wait and wait and see, you know, we're going to wait a little bit, and um, so here we are, we've gone to Coldstream again, and and here we are today um, with her baptism, so is there anything you can think of? So, yeah, that's kind of where, how we arrived here today. So, Abigail, um, do you profess uh, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Okay. Well, uh, because of your profession uh, of Jesus Christ as your, as your Lord and Savior, it's my privilege to baptize you, my daughter, and now my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, baptize you with baptize you in with Christ in baptize in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life with him. So one of the, the really cool things um, I've gotten to watch as a pastor uh, both of these families over the last year or so addressing their children and salvation. And uh, there's, there's so many things I could share. One is uh, about the um, influence that Culturing Christian Camp has had. Uh, it's, it's been tremendous for us to send our students and children there. Uh, but it's, part of that is, too, we've got a lot of our folks that are counselors there. Uh, in leadership. So it's, it's really an extension of this church in some very unique ways. Um, one of the things I would say about both of these families is they've been also very careful about their children and, and salvation. Um, and, and so th they've not just said, oh, they get the facts. That, that's one of my struggles because I knew the facts as a, a, a fifth grader. They've really wrestled with their students and made sure that they're confident about their understanding of sin conviction over that sin and the need to repent from that sin in trusting Christ. Because salvation is, is simple. It, it really is, isn't it? Um, because all it requires is us to understand that, that Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again that we might have life and we would just confess him as Lord and Savior and trust his work to save us, not our own. And so I think these families, uh, I, I do want to give them credit and, 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 and a sense and accolade for being cautious and careful in those things with their children. Because knowing that about them, their children will walk well in the faith because there's not going to be doubts about that. And we as a church, I think, have been a blessing to them. We've surrounded them with teaching. We've surrounded them with relationships. Uh, just for instance, we have the Wheats all the way from Kentucky now to celebrate with the Ryans this morning and other friends and family uh, with, with them today. Um, and that's a really exciting thing to think about the, the, the uniqueness of this dynamic as a body ministering together to accomplish the work of the whole, uh, to help the, the Holy Spirit in his work of regenerating. Because he does that through us employing our gifts in ministry and service to one another. So what a great moment for us to recognize both their identity personally in Christ and then our identity as a church together in Christ as his body. 
So I want us to stand. We're going to sing a couple songs now uh, just in celebration, and we're going to continue in worship doing that before we take communion.
Till he returns or calls me home Here in the power of Christ I'll stand Here in the power of Christ we stand Oh, what a great, great morning so far. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin. Lost without hope with no place to begin. Your love made Thank you. When death was arrested and my life began, ash was redeemed, only beauty remained. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, life began Oh your grace so free washes over me You have made me new now life begins with you It's your endless love pouring my chains I'm a prisoner no more my shame was a ransom he faithfully bore he canceled my death and he called me his friend when death was arrested my life began oh your grace so free watching Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in him. And that's when death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace, so free, washes over. Hey! 
you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7 as we turn our attention to communion. Um, One of the things about communion that is very different from the ordinance of baptism is that we are instructed to take communion again and again and and to to participate uh, participate in it in an often repeated manner. Baptism isn't meant to be that way. Um, I, I know a few people in my life that have, have been uh, baptized multiple times. Sometimes that's for wrong reasons because maybe like me, uh, as a, a fifth grader, I knew facts, but I was not actually saved by the, the work of Christ. And so I was baptized again as a 20-year-old after my faith became genuine in the Lord. There's some people also that, that believe that like, maybe they've gone to Israel and they want to be baptized in the Jordan River that they take that opportunity as a believer and they're, they're baptized again. Um, I think that one might be appropriate um, for symbolic sake of being there. But the truth is, baptism is really to be done once because we were old once and risen once. But the Lord's Supper is to be taken again and again, to be repeated. And, and we can do this in, uh, especially in a number of ways uh, because of, of how we do the elements and those kind of things. But most importantly, is how we do that as a church together. We, we want to come together as a body celebrating who we are together in Christ after baptism and that identity in the body. Now we get to say, hey, we identify again with one another in this body, this church, this local body, and we take communion together. So I want to just remind you of a couple specifics about communion and the Lord's Supper. First of all, Jesus is the one who instituted the Lord's Supper. He took what was the Passover meal, that celebration of what happened in the Israelites' life in the Old Testament when uh, they were uh, enslaved in Egypt, and the Lord commanded them to take the blood of the lamb and spread that on the doorpost, and they were to uh, have the, the, um, the, the oh goodness, it's escaped my mind, the, the uh, death angel would pass over them as their homes and spare the firstborn. All of those things were types of the promises of Christ to come. And so when Christ meets with his disciples in this upper room uh, at the Passover week, 
and he takes the Passover meal, one of the things that he is specifically doing is he's showing how he is the fulfillment of those types, that he is the one who is completing the promises that were given, and he's taking those elements and he's transforming them into something new. Because what he does is he is not just taking the old covenant pictures in the Old Testament and uh, and transforming them. He is making a new covenant. That's that's something important to recognize. Jesus creates an entirely new covenant when he does this. So the elements take on a a whole new aspect and meaning when when Jesus uh, institutes this with his disciples. So let's read Hebrews 7, verses 23 through 28, because I think this helps us see that Jesus is this mediator of a better covenant. So look, look at verse uh, 22 to start with. Um, this makes Jesus the guarantee, guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. There's a lot of rich teaching, and I'm taking just a little bit of of that passage of of Hebrews and and trying to uh, connect a couple of dots. First of all, when you think through the the Old Testament system of sacrifice, the priest would make sacrifice again and again for their own sins and for the sins of the people. And they would do that with the blood of animals. It was insufficient. That's why it had to be repeated. They were high priests. Yes, they were high priests, but they were not able to do that in a permanent way. Jesus what the writer of Hebrews is getting at is he's perfect, he's holy. His sacrifice was once and for all, and the sacrifice that he made was perfect, and it never has to be repeated. And he therefore mediates a different, a new and better covenant through his blood. And that's what he's introducing in this Lord's Supper as he transforms the picture of what happened at the Passover and these elements. He's saying, I have fulfilled these perfectly. Therefore, when you celebrate this, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And so these these elements take on a different meaning for us as believers. So um, that being this, when we think about our needs physically and spiritually, we have an ongoing need for food to to, to feed us physically so that we would uh, survive and, and, and thrive. We, we need a physical reminder of the presence of Jesus that helps us live well. Spiritually, the blood represents that forgiveness that we have, that it reminds us of our spiritual need as well, so that we might 
Remember that Jesus is the word, that we feed on the word as is the bread of life for us. And that his blood provides us that forgiveness, that cleansing, that remission of sins. Now, it's interesting, one of the, the places, um, if you remember this, in 1 Corinthians, the, the Corinthian church had a lot of issues. And one of the most important teachings on the Lord's Supper is found in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul's actually correcting the church on how they were practicing it improperly. Because what was happening is some of the wealthy members of the church were gathering and they were meeting and they were having a feast while they, some of the less wealthy people were put in an outer court and they weren't given the food and the things that they needed uh, in the midst of the supper. So they were actually kind of getting the seconds. And it was actually causing division in the church. And so Paul comes in and says, wait a second. That's, that's not how we are to operate. We should be operating in unity. We should be operating in equality because our identity is in Christ and in no other. And so when we gather to celebrate communion, we want to do this as a church, recognizing that we together as members of this local body are equal in Christ. It's a beautiful part of what we do in celebration together. So we want to do that this morning, remembering that we as members have gathered, identified as the church to say we recognize that we are different because of the new covenant in Christ. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of what we do. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a minute. Perry's going to play, and we're going to allow you to, to move and get the elements at the different tables. So if you're one of the first ones there, um, just remove that uh, cloth that's covering it. That was just to, to keep it covered for a couple minutes. Um, and I would ask this, maybe if you are a, a leader of your family, a dad, or maybe you're uh, just here as a mom with your family, why don't you try to get the elements, if you can handle them all for your family. If you need help, obviously grab somebody else. But that would just let us reduce the traffic flow in the building to, to get the elements. And once we have the elements, I'm going to walk us through the, the taking of those elements, okay? So, Perry, let's pray, and then you can proceed to, to take the elements and get those and come back to your chairs and, and wait for instruct, further instructions, okay?
and Abigail professed your faith in the Lord Jesus as we celebrated them earlier today. Uh, for me, it was July 17th, 1989. I, I remember the day vividly. I was 20 years old. Um, but it's good for us to go back to those moments and remember where we were in conviction of sin, recognizing our need for Christ, recognizing the, the work of the Holy Spirit to call us and to regenerate us by grace. <laughs> Not by anything that we've done, but simply by the grace of God. So I want you to just take a moment to reflect upon that, and then I will give you instructions here further, okay? As you're 
reflecting, I want you to just, most of you have your heads bowed, eyes closed, and I want you to just stay there. Um, I want you to think through this for just a moment. When, when Jesus suffered, what, what he endured on our behalf was the most intense suffering of any kind. We've, we've already looked in, and thought about how that struggle was taking the curse of sin upon him. He became sin, as we just sang, and he, the, the curse that should have been ours, he bore. Aren't you grateful for that? For this perfect Savior, holy and righteous in every way, without sin or without blemish, doing that for every one of us. Just say thanks in your heart and your mind to him right now. And so as he met with his disciples in the upper room, you can look up, what he did is he took this piece of unleavened bread. And that unleavened bread had been historically part of the Passover meal, and it represented them searching out the house and getting all the leaven out and making sure there was no sin in, in their midst. And, and they, then Jesus took it and he's basically saying, this bread is my body. That's what he said. Because in his body, there was no sin. And he broke it and he looked at his disciples as he passed it around and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Sinless, righteous, perfect. When you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So I want you to take your bread and I want you to say thank you again to Jesus and do this in remembrance of him. He also took a cup. I don't know what the cup looked. It may look similar to this. But the cup was full of wine. And that wine represented what? The blood of Christ that was going to be shed. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or cleansing or forgiveness of sin. And what I think is unique about the cup is two things. One, a cup holds lots. And, and a cup also in holding lots, it represents more than just a drop. Does that make sense? It, 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 rep it represents the need to cover the sins of all humanity. And, and I think it also represents this fact that suffering was no little thing. And so when Jesus presented this cup to his disciples, it wasn't so much about the wine or the juice, even that was part of it. What he said is this, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And I think it, it's, it's a great symbol. And then as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he pray? Let this cup pass from me. It's, it's this picture of this intense amount of great suffering on our behalf. I think too many times we take a little cup, and now it's not bad, but it doesn't represent the same picture. You follow me? We need to remember that what Christ suffered on our behalf was a tremendous cup. And he endured that so that we might have freedom, that we might have victory, that we might have new life. 
that every sin that we've ever committed or ever will commit is covered by his blood. What a great thing to remember in celebration and thanksgiving. So as you take this cup, remember what Jesus suffered for you. Be grateful that he endured the suffering of the cross and poured out his blood, that he is the mediator of a better covenant that secures us for eternity. Do this in remembrance of him. Heavenly Father, as I often think about Ephesians 1, when we come to this point of having taken communion and, and done these things in remembrance of you and, and your perfect plan that you worked out in Christ, Lord, all those truths that are wrapped up in, in Ephesians 1 are flooding to my mind that, that you set out the plan, Heavenly Father, that Christ fulfilled it in the fullness of time, and the Holy Spirit is the one who seals us until the day of redemption. So, Lord, you've promised that by grace through faith, we have been given a new relationship with you, and you abide in us, and we abide in you, and victory is ours, and the Holy Spirit is doing a work in us in sanctification to the time that we will be glorified. So, Lord, today as we have celebrated communion together, it is a wonderful thing for us to remember our identity in Christ, both individually and corporately as a church. We bless you for who you are making us into, into the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this reason, Heavenly Father, we rejoice in your perfect plan. Jesus, we say thank you for mediating this covenant this better covenant, this perfect covenant. And we say thank you, Holy Spirit, for continuing to work in us. We love you, our triune God. And we bless you, for you are the true and living God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.